Hello all my demented darklings. This is Scary Jerry. Today we are going to start with the first uh, Brothers Grimm story that I had promised you guys. Uh, we'll see how it goes. If uh, it's something that works out, we will do more. Anyway, without any further ado, this is called The Story of the Youth Who Went Forth to learn what fear was. A certain father had two sons, the elder of whom was smart and sensible and could do everything. But the younger was stupid and could neither learn nor understand anything. And when people saw him, they said, there's a fellow who will give his father some trouble. When anything had to be done, it was always the elder who was forced to do it. But if his father asked him to fetch anything when it was late, or the night time, and the way led through the churchyard, or any other dismal place, he answered, Oh no, father, I'll not go there. It makes me shudder. For he was afraid. Or when stories were told by fire at night, which made the flesh creep, the listeners sometimes said, Oh, it makes us shudder. The younger sat in a corner and listened with the rest of them, and could not imagine what they could mean. They are always saying, it makes me shudder, it makes me shudder. It does not make me shudder, he thought he. That too must be an art of which I understand nothing. Now it came to pass that his father said to him one day, Listen to me, you fellow in the corner there. You are growing tall and strong and you too must learn something by which you can earn your living. Look how your brother works, but you do not even earn your salt. Well, father, he replied, I am quite willing to learn something. Indeed, if it could be managed, I should like to learn how to shudder. I don't understand that at all yet. The elder brother smiled when he heard that and thought to himself, Good God, what a blockhead that brother of mine is. He will never be good for anything as long as he lives. He who wants to be a sickle must bend himself early. The father sighed and answered him. You soon shall learn what it is to shudder, but you will not earn your bread by that. Soon after this, the sexton came to the house for a visit, and the father bewailed his trouble and told him how his younger son was so backward in every respect that he knew nothing and learned nothing. Just think, he said, when I asked him how he was going to earn his bread, he actually wanted to learn to shudder. If that be all, replied the sexton, he can learn that with me. Send him to me, and I will polish him. The father was glad to do it, for he thought, it will train the boy a little. The sexton, therefore, took him into his house, and he had to ring the bell. After a day or two, the sexton awoke him at midnight and bade him arise and go up into the churchyard to the tower and ring the bell. You shall soon learn what shuddering is, thought he. Secretly went there before him. And when the boy was at the top of the tower and turned around, 
and was just going to take hold of the bell rope, he saw a white figure standing on the stairs opposite the sounding hole. Who is there? cried he. But the figure made no reply, and did not move or stir. Give an answer, cried the boy, or take yourself off. You have no business here at night. The sexton, however, remained standing motionless, that the boy might think he was a ghost. The boy cried a second time, What do you want here? Speak, if you are an honest fellow, or I will throw you down the steps. The sexton thought, He can't intend to be as bad as his words. He uttered no sound and stood as if he were made of stone. Then the boy called to him for a third time, and that was also to no avail. He ran against him and pushed the ghost down the stairs, so that it fell down ten steps and remained lying there in the corner. Thereupon he rang the bell and went home, and without saying a word went to bed and fell asleep. The sexton's wife waited a long time for her husband, but he did not come back. At length, she became uneasy and wakened the boy and asked, Do you not know where my husband is? He climbed up the tower before you did. No, I don't know, replied the boy. But someone was standing by the sounding hole on the other side of the steps. And as he would neither give an answer nor go away, I took him for a scoundrel and threw him down the stairs. Just go there and you will see if it was he. I should be sorry if it were he. The woman ran away and found her husband, who was lying moaning in the corner and had a broken his leg. She carried him down, and then with loud screams she hastened to the boy's father. Your boy, she cried, has been the cause of a great misfortune. He has thrown my husband down the steps and made him break his leg. Take the good-for-nothing fellow away from our house. The father was terrified and ran there and scolded the boy. What, what wicked tricks are these, said he. The devil must have put this into your head. Father, he replied, do listen to me. I am quite innocent. He was standing there by night like no one who was intending to do some evil. Like one who was intending to do some evil. I did not know who it was. And I warned him three times, either speak or go away. Ah, said the father, I have nothing but unhappiness with you. Go out of my sight. I will see you no more. Yes, father, write willingly. Wait only until it is day. Then I will go forth and learn how to shudder. Then I shall, at any rate, understand one art which will support me. Learn what you will, said the father. It is all the same to me. Here are fifty talers for you. Take these and go into the wide world, and tell no one from where you come. And who is your father? For I have reason to be ashamed of you. Yes, father, I shall be as you will. If you desire nothing more than that, I can easily keep it in mind. When day dawned, Therefore, the boy put his fifty talers into his pocket and went forth on the great highway and continually said to himself, If I could but shudder, if I could but shudder. 
Then a man approached who heard this conversation with that with which the youth was holding with himself. And when they walked a little farther to where they could see the gallows, the man said to him, Look, there is the tree where seven men have married the rope maker's daughter, and now and are now learning how to fly. Sit down below it, wait till night comes, and you will soon soon learn how to shudder. If that is all that is wanted, answered the youth, it is easily done. But if I learn how to shudder as fast as that, you shall have my fifty talers. Just come back to me early in the morning. Then the youth went to the gallows and sat down below it, and waited till evening came. And as he was cold, he lighted himself a fire. But at midnight the wind blew so sharply that in spite of his fire he could not get warm. And as the wind knocked the hang, hanged men against each other, and they moved backwards and forwards, he thought to himself, You shiver below by a fire, but how those up above must freeze and suffer. And as he felt pity for them, he raised the ladder and climbed up, unbound one of them after the other, and brought down all seven. Then he stirred the fire, blew in it, and set them all around it to warm themselves. But they sat there and did not stir, and the fire caught their clothes. So he said, Take care, or I will hang you up again. The dead men, however, did not hear, but were quite silent, and let their rags go on burning. At this he grew angry and said, If you will not take care, I cannot help you. I will not be burnt with you. And he hung them up again, each in his turn. Then he sat down by his fire and fell asleep. The next morning the man came to him and wanted to have the fifty talers, and said, Well, do you know how to shudder? No, answered he. How was I to get to know? Those fellows up there did not open their mouths, and were so stupid that they let their few old rags which they had on their bodies get burnt. Then the man saw then the man saw that he would not get the fifty talers that day, and went away saying, One of this kind has never come my way before. The youth likewise went his way, and once more began to mutter to himself, Ah, if I could but shudder! Ah, if I could but shudder! A wagoner, who was striding behind him, heard that and asked, Who are you? I do not know, answered the youth. Then the wagoner asked, From where do you come? I do not know. Who is your father? That I may not tell you. What is it that you are always muttering between your teeth? Ah, replied the youth, I do so wish I could shudder, but no one can teach me how to do it. Give up your foolish chatter, said the wagoner. Come, go with me. I will see about a place for you. The youth went with the wagoner, and in the evening they arrived at an inn where they wished to pass the night. Then, at the entrance of the room, the youth said quite loudly, If I could but shudder, if I could but shudder. The host who heard this laughed and said, If that is your desire, there ought to be a good opportunity for you here. Ah, be silent, said the hostess. So many inquisitive persons have already lost their lives. It would be a pity and a shame if such beautiful eyes as these should never see daylight again. But the youth said, However difficult it may be, I will learn it. 
and for this purpose I have journeyed forth. He let the host have no rest until the latter told him that not far away from there stood a haunted castle where anyone could very easily learn what shuddering was. If he would but sleep in it for three nights. The king had promised that he who would venture should have his daughter as wife, and that she was the most beautiful maiden in the, the sun had ever shown on. Great treasures likewise lay inside the castle, which were guarded by evil spirits, and these treasures would then be freed, and would make poor man rich enough. Already many men had gone to the castle, but as yet none had come out again. Then the youth went the next morning to the king and said if he were allowed, he would watch three nights in the haunted castle. The king looked at him, and as the youth pleased him, he said, You may ask for three things to take into the castle with you, but they must be things without life. He answered, Then I ask for a fire, a turning lathe, and a cutting board with the knife. The king had these things carried into the castle for him during the day. When night was drawing near, the youth went up and made himself a bright fire in one of the rooms, placed the cutting board and knife beside it, and seated himself by the turning lathe. Ah, if I could but shudder, he said, but I shall not learn it here either. Towards midnight, he was about to poke his fire, about to poke his fire, and he was blowing it. Something cried suddenly from one corner. Corner. Oh, Mo, we are cold. You simpletons, he cried, what are you crying about? If you are cold, come and take a seat by the fire and warm yourselves. And when he said that, two great black cats came with one tremendous leap and sat down on each side of him and looked savagely at him with their fiery eyes. After a short time, when they had warmed themselves, they said, Comrade, shall we have a game at cards? Why not, he replied, but just show me your paws. Then they stretched out their claws. Oh, said he, what long nails you have. Wait, I must first cut them for you. Thereupon he seized them by the throats, put them on the cutting board, and screwed their feet fast. I have looked at your fingers, said he, and my fancy for card playing has gone. And he struck them dead and threw them out into the water. But when he had made, his, made away with these two, and was about to sit down again by his fire, out from every hole and corner came black cats and black dogs with red-hot chains, and more and more of them came until he could no longer stir. And they yelled horribly and got on his fire and pulled it to pieces and tried to put it out. He watched them for a while quietly, but at last, when they were going too far, he seized the cutting knife and cried, Away with ye, vermin! and began to cut them down. Part of them ran away, but others he killed and threw out into the fish pond. When he came back, he fanned the embers of his fire again and warmed himself. And as he thus sat, his eyes would keep open no longer, and he felt a desire to sleep. Then he looked round and saw a great bed in the corner. That is a very fine thing for me, said he. 
and got into it. When he was just going to shut his eyes, however, he began to move. It began, the bed began to move of its own accord and went over the whole castle. That's right, said he, but go faster. Then the bed rolled on as if six horse were harnessed to it, up and down, over thresholds and steps. But suddenly, hop, 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 it turned over, upside down, and lay on him like a mountain. But, but he threw quilts and pillows up in the air and got out and said, Now anyone who likes may drive, and lay down by his fire and slept till it was day. In the morning the king came. When he saw him lying there on the ground, he thought the evil spirits had killed him and he was dead. Then he said, After all, it is a pity. He is a handsome man. The youth heard it, got up, and said, It has not yet come to that. Then the king was astonished, but very glad, and asked how far, how he had fared. Very well indeed, answered he. One night has passed. Two others will get over likewise. Then he went to the innkeeper, who opened his eyes very wide and said, I never expected to see you alive again. Have you learned how to shudder yet? No, said he. It's all in vain. If someone would but tell me. The second night he again went up into the old castle, sat down by the fire, and once again began his old song. If I could but shudder. When the night came, an uproar rose, uh, an uproar and noise of tumbling was about, about was heard. At first it was low, but it grew louder and louder. Then it was quiet for a while, and at length, with a loud scream, half a man came down the chimney and fell before him. Hello, he cried. Another half belongs to this. This is too little. Then the uproar began again. There was roaring and howling, and other and the other half fell down likewise. Wait, said the youth, I will just blow up the fire a little for you. When he had done that and looked around again, the two pieces were joined together, and a frightful man was sitting in his place. That is no part of our bargain, said the youth. The bench is mine. The man wanted to push him away. The youth, however, would not allow that, but thrust him off with all his strength, and seated himself again in his own place. Then still more men fell down, one after another. They brought nine dead men's legs and two skulls, and set them up and played at, the, played at nine pins with them. The youth also wanted to play and said, Can I join you? Yes, if you have any money. Money enough, replied he, but your balls are not quite round. Then he took the skulls and put them in the lathe and turned them till they were round. There, now they will roll better, said he. Hurrah, now it goes merrily. He played with them and lost some of his money. But when it struck twelve, everything vanished from his sight. He lay down quietly and fell asleep. Next morning, the king came to inquire after him. How has it fared with you this time? asked he. I have been playing at ninepins, he answered, and have lost a couple of farthings. Have you not shuddered then? Eh, what? He said he. I have made merry, but I did not know what it was to shudder. 
The third night he sat down again on his bench and said quite sadly, if I could but shudder. Then it grew late. Six tall men came in and brought a coffin. Then said he, ha-ha, that is certainly my little cousin who died only a few days ago. And he beckoned with his finger and cried, come, little cousin, come. They placed the coffin on the ground, but he went to it and took the lid off, and a dead man lay therein. He felt his face, but it was cold as ice. Stop, said he, I will warm you a little. And went to the fire and warmed his hand and laid it on the dead man's face. But he remained cold. Then he took him out and sat him down by the fire and laid him on his breast and rubbed his arms that the blood might circulate again. As this also did no good, he thought to himself, when two people lie in bed together, they warm each other, and carried him to the bed, covered him over, and lay down by him. After a short time, the dead man became warm too and began to move. Then said the youth, See, little cousin, have I not warmed you? The dead man, however, got up and cried, Now I will strangle you. What? said he. Is that the way you thank me? You shall at once go into your coffin again. And he took him up and threw him into it and shut the lid. Then came the six men and carried him away again. I cannot manage to shudder, said he. I shall never learn it here as long as I live. Then a man entered who was taller than all the others and looked terrible. He was old, however, and had a long white beard. You wretch, he cried, you shall soon learn what it is to shudder, for you shall die. Not so fast, replied the youth. If I am to die, I shall have to have a say in it. I will soon seize you, said the fiend. Softly, softly, do not talk so big. I am as strong as you are, and perhaps even stronger. We shall see, said the old man. If you are stronger, I will let you go. Come, we will try. Then he led him by dark passages to a smith's forge and took an axe, and with one blow struck an anvil into the ground. I can do better than that, said the youth, and went to the other anvil. The old man placed himself near and wanted to look on, and his white beard hung down. Then the youth seized the axe, split the anvil with one blow, and struck the old man's beard, beard in with it. Now I have you, said the youth. Now it is you who will have to die. Then he seized the iron bar and beat the old man till he moaned and entreated him to stop, and he would give him great riches. The youth drew out the axe and let him go. The old men led him back to the castle, and in a cellar showed him three chests full of gold. Of these, said he, one part is for the poor, the other for the king, and the third is yours. In the meantime it struck twelve, and the spirit disappeared. The youth, therefore, was left in darkness. I shall still be able to find my way out, said he, and felt about and found the way into the room, and slept there by his fire. Next morning the king came and said, Now you, you must have learned what shuddering is. No, he answered, what can it be? 
my dead cousin was here, and a bearded man came and showed me a great deal of money down below, but no one told me what it is to shudder. Then said the king, You have delivered the castle from enchantment, and shall marry my daughter. That is all very well, said he, but I still do not know what it is to shudder. Then the gold was brought up, and the wedding celebrated. But however much the young king loved his wife, and however happy he was, he still always said, If I could but shudder, if I could but shudder. And at last she was angry at this. Her waiting maid said, I will find a cure for him. He shall soon learn what it is to shudder. She went out to the stream which flowed through the garden and had a whole bucket full of gudgeons brought to her. At night, when the young king was sleeping, his wife was to draw the clothes off of him and empty the bucket full of cold water with the gudgeons in it all over him so that the little fishes would sprawl about him. When this was done, he woke up and cried, Oh, what makes me shudder so? What makes me shudder so, dear wife? Ah, now I know what it is to shudder. The end. That one was kind of fun. I liked that. Let's see what else we got. All right, and now we have Our Lady's Child. Near a great forest dwelt a woodcutter with his wife, who had only a child, a girl, three years old. They were so poor, however, that they no longer had daily bread and did not know how to get food for her. One morning the woodcutter went out sorrowfully, sorrowfully to his work in the forest, and while he was cutting wood, suddenly there stood before him a tall and beautiful woman with a crown of shining stars on her head who said to him, I am the Virgin Mary, mother of the child Jesus. You are poor and needy, and bring bring me, bring your child to me. I will take her with me and be her mother and care for her. The woodcutter obeyed and brought his child and gave her to the Virgin Mary, who took her up to heaven with her. There the child fared well, ate sugar cakes, and drank sweet milk and her clothes were of gold, and little angels played with her. And when she was fourteen years of age, the Virgin Mary called her one day and said, Dear child, I am about to make a long journey, so take into your keeping the keys of the thirteen doors of heaven. Twelve of these you may, be, may open, and behold the glory which is within them. But the thirteenth, to which this little key belongs, is forbidden. Beware of opening it, or you will bring misery on yourself. The girl promised to be obedient, and when the Virgin Mary was gone, she began to examine the dwellings of the kingdom of heaven. Each day she opened one of them, until she had made round of the twelve. In each of them sat one of the apostles in the midst of a great light, and she rejoiced in all the magnificence and splendor. The little angels who always accompanied her rejoiced with her. Then the forbidden door alone remained, and she felt great desire to know what could be hidden behind it. And she said to the angels, I will not quite open it, and I will not go inside it, but I will unlock it so that we can just see a little through the opening. Oh, no, said the little angels. 
That would be a sin. The Virgin Mary has forbidden it, and it might easily cause you unhappiness. Then she was silent, but the desire in her heart was not stilled, but gnawed there and tormented her, and let her have no rest. And once, when the angels had all gone out, she thought, Now I am quite alone. I could peep in. If I do it, no one will ever know. She sought out the key, and when she had gotten it in her hand, she put it in the lock. And when she had put it in, she turned it round as well. Then the door sprang open, and she saw there the Trinity sitting in fire and splendor. She stayed there a while and looked at everything in amazement. Then she touched the light a little with her finger, and her finger became quite golden. Immediately, a great fear fell on her. She shut the door violently and ran away. Her terror, too, would not quite, would not quit her. Let her do what she might, and her heart beat continually and would not be still. The gold, too, stayed on her finger and would not go away, no matter how much she rubbed it and washed it. It was not long before the Virgin Mary came back from her journey. She called the little girl before her and asked to have the keys of heaven back. When the maiden gave her the bunch, the virgin looked into her eyes and said, Have you not opened the thirteenth door also? No, she replied. Then she laid her hand on the girl's heart and felt how it beat and beat and saw right well that she had disobeyed her order and had opened the door. Then she said once again, are you certain you have not done it? Yes, said the girl for the second time. Then she perceived the finger, which had become golden from touching the fire in heaven, and saw well that the child had sinned, and said for the third time, Have you not done it? No, said the girl for the third time. Then the Virgin Mary, then said the Virgin Mary, You have not obeyed me. And besides that, you have lied. You are no, wor no longer worthy to be in heaven. Then the girl fell into a deep, deep sleep. And when she awoke, she lay on the earth below, in the, in the midst of a wilderness. She wanted to cry out, but she could bring forth no sound. She sprang up and wanted to run away. But wherever she turned herself, she was continually held back by thick hedges of thorns through which she could not break. In the desert in which she was imprisoned, there stood an old hollow tree, and this had to be her dwelling place. Into this she crept when at night, and here she slept. Here, too, she found a shelter from storm and rain, but it was a miserable life, and bitterly did she weep when she remembered how happy she had been in heaven, and how the angels had played with her, Roots and wild berries were her only food, and for these she searched as far as she could go. In the autumn she picked up fallen nuts and leaves and carried them into the hole. The nuts were her food in winter, and when snow and ice came she crept amongst the leaves like a poor little animal that she might not freeze. Before long her clothes were all torn, and one bit of them after another fell off of her. As soon, however, as the sun shone warm again, she went out and sat in front of the tree, and her long hair covered her on all sides like a mantle. 
Thus she sat year after year and felt the pain and misery of the world. One day, when the trees were once more clothed in fresh green, the king of the country was hunting in the forest and followed a deer. And as it had fled into the thicket which shut this part of the forest off, he got off his horse, tore the bushes asunder, and cut himself a path with his sword. When he had at last forced his way through, he saw a wonderfully beautiful maiden sitting under the tree. And she sat there and was entirely covered with her golden hair, down to her very feet. He stood still and looked at her, full of surprise. Then he spoke to her and said, Who are you? Why are you sitting here in the wilderness? But she gave no answer, for she could not open her mouth. The king continued, Will you go with me to my castle? Then she just nodded her head a little. The king took her in his arms, carried her to his horse, and rode home with her. And when he reached the royal castle, he caused her to be dressed in beautiful garments and gave her all things in abundance. Although she could not speak, she was still so con she was still so beautiful and charming that he began to love her with all his heart. And it was not long before he married her. And after a year or so had passed, the queen brought a son into the world. Thereupon the Virgin Mary appeared to her in the night when she lay in her bed alone and said, If you will tell the truth and confess that you did not that you did unlock the forbidden door, I will open your mouth and give you back your speech. But if you preserve in your sin and deny it ostensibly, I will take your newborn child away with me. Then the queen was permitted to answer, but she remained hard and said, No. I did not open that forbidden door. And the Virgin Mary took the newborn child from her arms and vanished with it. The next morning, when the child was not to be found, it was whispered among the people that the queen was a man-eater and had killed her own child. She heard all of this and could say nothing to the contrary, but the king would not believe it, for he loved her so much. When a year had gone by, the queen again bore a son. And in the night the Virgin Mary came again to her and said, If you will confess that you opened the forbidden door, I will give you the child back and untie your tongue. But if you continue to sin and deny it, I will take away with me this child also. Then the queen again said, No, I did not open the forbidden door. And the Virgin Mary took the child out of her arms and away with her to heaven. Next morning, when this child had also dis disappeared, the people declared quite loudly that the queen had devoured it, and the king's counselors demanded that she should be brought to justice. The king, however, loved her so dearly that he would not believe it, and commanded the counselors under pain of death not to say any more about it. The following year, the queen gave birth to a beautiful little daughter, and for the third time the Virgin Mary appeared to her in the night and said, Follow me. She took the queen by the hand and led her to heaven, and showed her there her two eldest children, who smiled at her and were playing with the ball of the world. When the queen rejoiced at this, the Virgin Mary said, Is your heart not yet softened? Will you, If you will own that you opened the forbidden door, I will give you back your two little sons. 
But for the third time the queen answered, No, I did not open the forbidden door. Then the Virgin Mary let her sink down to earth once more, and took from her likewise her third child. Next morning, when the loss was reported abroad, the people cried loudly, The queen is a man-eater! She must be judged! And the king was no longer able to restrain his counselors. Thereupon a child was held, and she could not answer and defend herself. She was condemned to be burned alive. The wood was gathered together, and when she was fast bound to the stake, the fire began to burn round about her. The hard ice of pride melted. Her heart was moved by repentance, and she thought, If I could but confess before my death that I opened the door. Then her voice came back to her, and she cried out loudly, Yes, Mary, I did it. And straightway rain fell from the sky and extinguished the flames of fire and a light broke forth above her. And the Virgin Mary descended with the two little sons by her side and the newborn daughter in her arms. She spoke kindly to her and said, He who repents his sin and acknowledges it is forgiven. Then she gave her the three little children, untied her tongue, and granted her happiness her whole life. Ugh. I didn't like that one. Let's see what's next. Okay, the wolf and seven little kids. There once upon a time was an old goat who had seven little kids and loved them with all the love of a mother for her children. One day she wanted to go into the forest and fetch some wood. So she called to all seven to her and said, Dear children, I have to go into the forest. Be on your guard against the wolf. If he comes, he would devour you all, skin, hair, and all. The wretch often disguises himself, but you will know him at once by his rough voice and his black feet. The kids said, Dear mother, we will take good care of ourselves. You may go away without any anxiety. The old one bleated and went on her way with an easy mind. It was not long before someone knocked at the door and called, Open the door, dear children. Your mother is here, and has brought something back with her for each of you. But the little kids knew that this was the wolf, by his rough voice. We will not open the door, they cried. You are not our mother. She has a soft, pleasant voice, but your voice is rough. You are the wolf. Then the wolf went away, to a shopkeeper and bought himself a great lump of chalk, ate this, and made his voice soft with it. Then he came back and knocked at the door of the house and cried, Open the door, dear children. Your mother is here and has brought something back with her for each of you. But the wolf had laid his black paws against the window, and the children saw them and cried, we will not open the door. Our mother has not got black feet like you. You are the wolf. Then the wolf ran to the baker and said, I have hurt my feet. Rub some dough over them for me. And when the baker had rubbed his feet over, he ran to the miller and said, Strew some white metal over my feet for me. The miller thought to himself, The wolf wants to deceive someone. 
and refused. But the wolf said, If you do not do it, I will devour you. Then the miller was afraid and made his paws white for him. Yes, that's how people are. So now the wretch went forth for the third time to the door and knocked at it and said, Open the door for me, my children. Your dear mother has come home and brought every one of you something back from the forest with her. The little kids cried, First show us your paws that we may know you are our dear little mother. Then he put his paws through the window. And when the kids saw that they were white, they believed that all that said was true and opened the door. But who should come in but the wolf? They were terrified and wanted to hide themselves. One sprang under the table, the second into the bed, the third into the stove, the fourth into the kitchen, the fifth into a cupboard, the sixth under a washing bowl, and the seventh into the clock case. But the wolf found them all and used no great ceremony. For one after the other, he swallowed them down his throat. The youngest, who was in the clock case, was the only one he did not find. When the wolf had satisfied his appetite, he took himself off, laid himself down under a tree in the great meadow outside, and began to sleep. Soon afterwards, the old goat came home again from the forest. Ah, what a sight she saw there! The door stood wide open. The table, chairs, and benches were thrown down. The washing bowl lay broken to pieces, and the quilts and pillows were pulled off the bed. She sought out her children, but they were nowhere to be found. She called them one after another by name, but no one answered. At last, when she came to the youngest, a soft voice cried, Dear mother, I am in the clock case. She took the kid out and told, and it told her that the wolf had come and eaten all the others. Then you may, may imagine how, how she wept over the poor children. At length in her grief she went out, and the youngest kid ran with her. When they came to the meadow where the wolf lay by the tree and snorted so loud that the branches shook, she looked at him on every side and saw that something was moving and struggling in his gorged belly. Oh, heavens, she said, is it possible that my poor children whom he has swallowed down for his supper can still be alive? Then the kid had to run home and fetch scissors and a needle and thread. The goat cut open the monster's stomach, and hardly had she made one cut that one little kid thrust its head out. When she cut farther, all six sprang out one after another and were all still alive, and had suffered no injury whatsoever. For in his greediness the monster had swallowed them down whole. What rejoicing there was! They embraced their dear mother, and jumped like a sailor at his wedding. The mother, however, said, Now go back and look for some big stones, and we will fill the wicked beast's stomach with them while he still sleeps. Then the seven kids dragged stones there with all speed and put as many of them into the stomach as they could get in. And the mother sewed him up again in the greatest haste so that he was not aware of anything and never once stirred. When the wolf at length had had his sleep out, he got on his legs and as the stones in his stomach made him very thirsty, he wanted to go to a well to drink.
But when he began to walk and move about, the stones in his stomach knocked against each other and rattled. Then he cried, What rumbles and tumbles against my poor bones? I thought twas six kids, but it's not but big stones. And when we got to the well and stooped over the water and was just about to drink, the heavy stones made him fall in, and there was no help, but he had to drown miserably. When the seven kids saw that, they came running to the spot and cried aloud, The wolf is dead! The wolf is dead! And danced for joy around the well with their mother. I don't know. That has a lot of similarities to uh, what I've been told is the classical Little Red Riding Hood. So, I don't know. I'm going to say that one's a meh. What did you guys think? All right, let's do one more. This one is titled Faithful John. There once upon a time an old king who was ill and thought to himself, I am lying on what must be my deathbed. Then said he, tell Faithful John to come to me. Faithful John was his favorite servant and was so called because he had for his whole life been so true to him. Therefore, when he came beside the bed, the king said to him, Most faithful John, I feel my end approaching. I have no anxiety except about my son. He is still of tender age and cannot always know how to guide himself. If you do not promise me to teach him everything that he ought to know and to be his foster father, I cannot close my eyes in peace. Then answered faithful John, I will not forsake him. I will serve him with fidelity, even if it should cost me my life. At this the old king said, Now I die in comfort and peace. Then he added, After my death, you shall show him the whole castle, all the chambers, halls, and vaults, and all the treasures which lie therein. But the last chamber in the long gallery in which is the picture of the princess of the golden dwelling, you shall not show. If he sees that picture, he will fall violently in love with her and will drop down in a swoon and go through great danger for her sake. Therefore, you must preserve him from that. And when faithful John had once more given his promise to the old king about this, the king said no more, but laid his head on his pillow and died. When the old king had been carried to his grave, Faithful John told the young king all that he had promised his father on his deathbed and said, This I will assuredly perform and will be faithful to you as I have been faithful to him, even if it should cost me my life. When the morning was over, when the mourning of the funeral was over, Faithful John said to him, It is now time that you should see your inheritance. I will show you your father's palace. Then he took him about everywhere, up, down, and let him see all the riches and the magnificent apartments. Only there was one room which he did not open, that in which hung the dangerous picture. The picture was, however, so placed that when the door was opened, you looked straight on it, and it was so admirably painted that it seemed to breathe and live. There was nothing more charming or beautiful in the whole world. 
The young king, however, plainly remarked that faithful John always walked past this door and said, Why do you never open this one for me? There is something within it, he replied, which would terrify you. But the king answered, I have seen all the palace, and I will know what is in this room also. And he went and tried to break open the door by force. Then faithful John held him back and said, I promised your father before his death that you should not see that which is in this chamber. It might bring the greatest misfortune on you and on me. Ah, no, replied the young king. If I do not go in, it will be my certain destruction. I should have no rest day or night until I have seen it with my own eyes. I shall not leave the palace. I shall not leave the place now until you have unlocked the door. Then faithful John saw that there was no help for it now. And with a heavy heart and many sighs, sought out the key from the great bunch. When he had opened the door, he went in first and thought by standing before him, he could hide the portrait so that the king should not see it in front of him. But to what avail? The king stood on tiptoe and saw it over his shoulder. And when he saw the portrait of the maiden, which was so magnificent and shone with gold and precious stones, he fell fainting to the ground. Faithful John took him up and carried him to his bed and sorrowfully thought, The misfortune has befallen us. Lord God, what will the end of it be? Then he strengthened him with wine until he came to himself again. The first words the king said were, Ah, the beautiful portrait. Who is in it? That is the princess of the golden dwelling, answered faithful John. Then the king continued, My love for her is so great that if all the leaves on all the trees were tongues, they could not declare it. I will give my life to win her. You are my most faithful, John. You must help me. The faithful servant considered within himself for a long time how to set about the matter, for it was difficult even to obtain a sight of the king's daughter. At length he thought of a way and said to the king, Everything which she has about her is gold, tables, chairs, dishes, glasses, bowls, and household furniture. Among your treasures are five tons of gold, let one of the goldsmiths of the kingdom work these up into all manner of vessels, utensils, into all kinds of birds, wild beasts, and strange animals, such as may please her, and we will go with there with them. We will go there with them and try our luck. The king ordered all the goldsmiths to be brought to him, and they had to work night and day until the last until at last the most splendid things were prepared. When everything was stowed on board a ship, faithful John put the clothing of put on the clothing of a merchant, and the king was forced to do the same in order to make himself quite unrecognizable. Then they sailed across the sea, and sailed on until they came to the town where the princess of the golden dwelling resided. Faithful John bade the king stay behind on the ship and wait for him. Perhaps I shall bring the princess with me, he said. Therefore, see that everything is in order. 
have the golden vessels set out and the whole ship decorated. Then he gathered together in his apron all kinds of gold things and went on shore and walked straight to the royal palace. When he entered the courtyard of the palace, a beautiful girl was standing there by the well with two golden buckets in her hand, drawing water from them. And when she was just turning round to carry away the sparkling water, she saw the stranger and asked who he was. So he answered, I am a merchant, and opened his apron and let her look in. Then she cried, Oh, what beautiful gold things! And put her pails down and looked at the golden wares, one after another. Then said the girl, The princess must see these. She has such great pleasure in golden things that she will buy all you have. She took him by the hand and led him up the stairs, for she was the waiting maid. When the king's daughter saw the wares, she was quite delighted and said, They are so beautifully worked that I will buy them all from you. But faithful John said, I am only the servant of a rich merchant. The things I have here are not to be compared with those that my master has in his ship. They are the most beautiful and valuable things that have ever been made in gold. She wanted to have everything brought to her there, but he said, there are so many of them that it would take a great many days to do that, and so many rooms would be required to exhibit them, that your house is not big enough. Then, in her curiosity and longing, were still more excited, until at last she said, Take me to the ship. I will go there myself and behold the treasures of your master. On this, faithful John was quite delighted, and led her to the ship, and when the king saw her, he perceived that her beauty was even greater than the picture had represented it to be, and thought no other than and thought that his heart would burst. Then she got onto the ship, and the king led her within. Faithful John, however, remained behind with the pilot, and ordered the ship to be pushed off, saying, Set all sails, till it fly like a bird in the air. Inside, however, the king showed her the golden vessels, every one of them, and the wild beasts and strange animals. Many hours went by while she was seeing everything, and in her delight she did not observe that the ship was sailing away. After she had looked at the last piece, she thanked the merchant and wanted to go home, but when she came to the side of the ship, she, thought it, she saw that it was on the deep sea far from land. And hurrying onward with all sail set, Ah, she cried in alarm, I am betrayed. I am carried away and have fallen into the powers of a merchant. I would rather die. The king, however, seized her hand and said, I am not a merchant. I am a king and of no worse origin than you are. And if I have carried you away with subtlety, that has come to pass because of my exceeding great love for you. The first time that I looked upon your portrait, I fell fainting to the ground. When the princess of the golden dwelling heard that, she was comforted, and her heart was inclined unto him, so that she willingly consented to be his wife. It so happened, however, while they were sailing onwards over the deep sea, that faithful John, who was sitting on the forepart of the vessel making music, saw three ravens in the air, which came flying towards them. At this he stopped playing and listened to what they were saying to each other. For 
he for that he understood well. One cried, Oh, there he is, carrying home the princess of the golden dwelling. Yes, replied the second, but he has not got her yet. Said the third, But he has got her. She is sitting beside him on the ship. Then the first began again and cried, What good will that do him? When they reach a reach land, a chestnut horse will leap forward to meet him, and the prince will want to mount it. But if he does that, it will run away with him and rise up into the air with him, and he will never see his maiden again. Said the second, But there's no escape? Oh, yes, if anyone else gets on it swiftly and takes out the pistol which must be in its holster and shoots the horse dead with it, the young king is saved. But who knows that? And whoever does know it and tells it to him will be turned to stone from the toe, from the toe to the knee. Then the second one said, I know more than that. Even if the horse is killed, the young king will not keep his bride. When they go into the castle together, a wrought bridal garment will be lying there in a dish and looking as if it were of woven gold and silver. It is, however, nothing but sulfur and pitch. And if he puts it on, it will burn him to the very bone and marrow. The third one said, Is there no escape at all? Oh, yes, replied the second. If anyone with gloves on seizes the garment and throws it into the fire and burns it, the young king will be saved. But what's the good in that? Whoever knows it and tells him, half his body will become stone from the knee to the heart. Then said the third, I still know more. Even if the bridal garment be burnt, the young king will not have his bride. After the wedding, when the dancing begins and the young queen is dancing, she will suddenly turn pale and fall down as if dead. And if someone does not lift her up and suck three drops of blood from her right breast and spit them out again, she will die. But if anyone who knows that were to declare it, he would become stone from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot. When the ravens had spoken of this together, they flew onwards, and Faithful John had well understood everything. But from that time forth he became quiet and sad, for he concealed what he had heard. His master would suffer, and if he revealed it to him, he must sacrifice his life. At length, however, he said to himself, I will save my master, even if it brings destruction on myself. When therefore they came to the shore, all happened as had been foretold by the ravens. A magnificent chestnut horse sprang forward. Good, said the king, he shall carry me to my place. And was about to mount it when faithful John got before him, jumped quickly on it, drew the pistol out of the holster, and shot the horse. Then the other attendants of the king, who, after all, were not very fond of faithful John, cried, how shameful to kill the beautiful animal that has, that was to have carried the king to his palace. But the king said, hold your peace and leave him alone. He is, is he not my most faithful John? Who knows what good may come of his actions? They went into the palace and the hall, and in the hall stood a dish. Inside lay the bridal garment, looking no otherwise than if it were made of gold and silver. 
The young king went towards it and was about to take hold of it. But faithful John pushed him away, seized it with gloves, and carried it quickly to the fire and burned it. The other attendants again began to murmur, Behold, now he is even burning the king's bridal garment. But the young king said, Who knows what good he may have done? Leave him alone. He is my most, most faithful John. And now the wedding was solemnized. The dance began. The bride also took part in it. Then faithful John was watchful and looked into her face. And suddenly she turned pale and fell to the floor as if she were dead. At this he ran hastily to her, lifted her up, and tore and bore her into a chamber. Then he laid her down and knelt and suckled three drops of blood from her right breast and spat them out. Immediately she breathed again and recovered herself. But the young king had seen this, and being ignorant of why faithful John had done it, was angry and, and cried, Throw him in the dungeon. The next morning faithful John was condemned and led to the gallows. When he stood up high and was about to be executed, he said, Everyone who has to die is permitted before his end to make one last speech. May I too claim the right? Yes, answered the king. It shall be granted. Then faithful John said, I am unjustly condemned and have always been true to you. And he related how he had hearkened to the conversation of the ravens when at sea and how he had been obliged to do all these things in order to save his master. Then the king cried, Oh, my most faithful John. Pardon, pardon, bring him down. But as faithful John spoke the last word, he had fallen down lifeless and become a stone. At this, the king and queen suffered great anguish. And the king said, Oh, how ill I have requited great fidelity. And ordered the stone figure to be taken up and placed in his bedroom beside his bed. And as often as he looked at it, he wept and said, Oh, if I could only bring you to life again, my most faithful John. Some time passed, and the queen bore twins, two sons who grew fast and were her delight. Once, when the queen was at church, and the two children were sitting playing beside their father, the latter, full of grief again, looked at the stone figure, sighed, and said, If I could but bring you to life again, my most faithful John. Then the stone began to speak and said, You can bring me to life again if you will sacrifice what is dearest to you. Then the king cried, I will give everything I have in the world for you. The stone continued, If you will cut off the heads of your two children with your own hand and sprinkle me with their blood, I shall be restored to life. The king was terrified when he heard that. He himself must kill his dearest children. But he thought of faithful John's great fidelity and how he had died for him. Drew his sword and with his own hand cut off the children's heads. And when he had smeared the stone with their blood, life returned to it. And faithful John stood once more safe and healthy before him. He said to the king, Your fidelity, fidelity shall not go unrewarded and took the heads of the children and put them on again and rubbed the wounds with their blood, at which they became whole again immediately and jumped about.
and went on playing as if nothing had happened. Then the king was full of joy, and when he saw the queen coming, he hid faithful John and the two children in a great cupboard. When she entered, he said to her, Have you been praying in the church? Yes, answered she, but I have constantly been thinking of faithful John and what misfortune has befallen him through us. Then said he, Dear wife, we can give him life again, but it will cost us our two little sons whom we must sacrifice. The queen turned pale. Her heart was full of terror, but she said, We owe it to him for his great fidelity. Then the king rejoiced that she thought as he thought, and went and opened the cupboard, and brought forth faithful John and the children, and said, God be praised, he is saved, and we have our little sons again also, and told her how everything had occurred. They dwelt together in much happiness until their death. I'm not even quite sure what to say about that one. I don't know. I think I'm going to call that an episode. Um, if you guys want to reach out to me, my email is scaryjerry9. It's S-C-A-R-R-Y-J-E-R-R-Y at gmail.com. That's scaryjerry9 at gmail.com. Give me a call, or don't give me a call. I don't want you freaks calling me, but send me an email. Let me know what you thought. We'll see how this goes. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And until next time, don't let the darkness end.